This week, Ohio-based Shopping Center Real Estate Investment Trust files for Chapter 11 with RSA in place. Judge Dorsey approves Malincroft disclosure statement. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest developments in high-yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. In light of the Juneteenth holiday this Friday, we're bringing you our weekly review a day early. I'm David Zupke. Julian Boulan will be joining me for the Week in Review and will also be featured on this week's Deep Dive. Later on, we'll discuss Evoke Data Center's lender calls, discuss financial and operational performance, and the DS objections in Puerto Rico. For this week's Deep Dive, Julian and Richard Barber from Reorg's America's Covenants team will be discussing Iconics brands and their recently announced going private acquisition by Lancer Capital and the change of control implications under their debt docs. It's Thursday, June 17th. Washington Prime Group, a Columbus, Ohio-based shopping center, REIT, and several affiliates filed for Chapter 11 protection in the Southern District of Texas this week, reporting $4 billion in assets and $3.5 billion in liabilities. WPG's portfolio includes material interest in 102 shopping centers canvassing approximately 52 million square feet. The company also owns parcels of land for either new development or expansion of existing properties. While the majority of the company's properties are wholly owned by WPG, multiple properties are held through joint ventures or other arrangements with third parties. The debtors filed with an RSA in place supported by holders of 74.5% of the 2018 credit facility, holders of 60% of the 2015 credit facility, holders of 66.67% of the unsecured notes, and holders of 100% of the Weberstown term loan facility. The RSA includes a toggle feature contemplating either an equitization plan backed by plan sponsor strategic value partners or an alternative recapitalization or sale transaction. Under the equitization plan, the holders of the 2018 and 2015 credit facilities would receive take-back debt plus $150 million of cash equal to par. The debtor's property-level mortgage indebtedness would be unimpaired by the restructuring and reinstated. The plan also contemplates a new money equity rights offering of up to $325 million and at least $260 million, where SVP would purchase 50% of the equity rights offering, and the unsecured note holders would have the right to purchase 50% of the remaining equity rights offering. According to the terms of the RSA, the new money rights offering will be offered a discount of 32.5% to the setup equity value of $800 million. The plan also includes an alternative transaction toggle that would allow the debtors to run a comprehensive marketing process over the next approximately 60 days, according to the debtors. Any bid under an alternative sale transaction would require payment full in cash of at least $2.3 billion in claims. At Monday's first day hearing, Judge Marvin Isger approved the bulk of the debtors' request of first day relief. Although the hearing was largely uncontested, certainly equity holders made appearances to raise preliminary valuation concerns, including preferred equity holder Cygnus Capital, who counsel asserted that the debtors appear to be solvent. Dawn Acquisitions, which does business under the trade name Evoke Data Centers, held a lender call earlier this month to discuss its recent financial performance and turnaround strategy, according to sources. The company, which provides retail co-location services to mostly enterprise customers attached to AT&T's global network, has been suffering from high customer churn, low utilization rates, intense competition, and declining liquidity, the sources said. Sources said lenders expressed frustration on the call about the lack of clarity and pace of management's turnaround efforts, despite sponsor Brookfield Infrastructure reiterating that it would continue to support the business turnaround with additional capital. They added that Brookfield could either inject additional equity or put in a junior instrument at dawn, which is expected to use all its operating cash flow this year to fund capital spending. Sources said the company reported first quarter annualized EBITDA of about $50 million, down from $80 million a year earlier, on revenue of about $65 million, compared with $73 million in the prior year period. 
They added that net customer churn has been about 40 to 50 bips per month this year, while the utilization rate for the data centers was about 60% as of the first quarter. They also added that net leverage was around 10 times at the end of the quarter. According to sources, Don's capital structure consists of an undrawn $50 million revolver due 2023 and a $550 million first lien term loan due 2025. Sources said the revolver carries an eight-time springing first lien net leverage covenant, which, according to a Moody's rating report, is triggered when revolving usage exceeds 35%. In addition to availability under the revolver, sources said the company's liquidity includes $24 million of balance sheet cash. The term loan is quoted between 84 and 86 cents, down from between 89 and 90 cents at the end of May, according to Solve Advisors. On Tuesday, the Promesa Oversight Board received numerous objections to the disclosure statement to its third amended plan of adjustment. Monoline insurers Ambac Assurance Corp. and FGIC, the Puerto Rico Fiscal Agency and Financial Advisory Authority, or AFAF, and the GDB Debt Recovery Authority and certain related parties objected to the Oversight Board's scheduling and procedures motion, arguing that the deadline for the debtors to file the confirmation order does not give parties ample time to review and object to provisions before the close of objections. The Official Committee of Retirees filed a limited response regarding the DS, outlining the status of efforts between the Retiree Committee and the Oversight Board to address various modifications to the plan and the confirmation process that the Retiree Committee believes are necessary to ensure robust and informed participation by retirees in the plan confirmation process. AFAF's limited objection centers on uncertainty surrounding the prospects for passage of enabling legislation required in the plan, which the agency says appears unlikely if the plan continues to include unnecessary pension cuts and freezes given the Puerto Rico government's staunch opposition. AFAF notes that while the DS acknowledges that there is no certainty the required legislation will be enacted, it does not inform creditors how precisely the plan would be implemented absent such legislation and how such lack of legislation would affect the recovery levels under the plan. The UCC asserts that the disclosure statement lacks vital information necessary for creditors to determine whether to support the plan or not, glosses over certain critical issues, and is misleading about numerous other issues. The UCC argues that the DS contains no estimate of the recovery percentage for GUCs in Class 55 of the plan or the size of the class itself. It also fails to explain why it separately classifies various types of unsecured claims or why those classes will receive a recovery much higher than that offered to claims in class 55, which is also the subject of a renewed claim reclassification motion by the UCC. The objection also asserts that the DS artificially decreases the estimated recovery percentage being offered to GO slash PBA creditors and clawback creditors. At a continued hearing on Wednesday, Judge John Dorsey approved the Mallinckrodt debtors' disclosure statement over objections from the SEC, the DOJ, and the U.S. trustee, among other parties. The approval was subject to the filing of a revised plan, disclosure statement, and proposed order reflecting agreements with various objectors and court comments. The disclosure statement hearing began on Tuesday, after the debtors announced the resolution of DS objections from the Ad Hoc First Lien Notes Group, the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors, the Official Committee of Opioid-Related Claimants, and the Future Claimants Representative. Earlier that day, the debtors filed an amended plan in DS, The latest version of the plan documents now feature a quote-unquote no-recovery opioid claims class. At Wednesday's continued hearing, the judge overruled the DS objections of the ad hoc private Akhtar claimant group led by the city of Rockford, Illinois, fellow private Akhtar claimants Humana and Atestor, the state of West Virginia, and insurer Columbia Casualty. Judge Dorsey also handed down a favorable ruling to the debtors in their dispute with the Akhtar plaintiffs on Thursday. The judge granted summary judgment to the debtors and found that the Akhtar-related claims of the city of Rockford, Illinois, are dischargeable. In an 8K filed on Monday, the debtors revealed that they had yet to reach an agreement on plan treatment with the ad hoc group of firstly note holders. 
The last draft of the debtor's term sheet to the group contemplated an exchange of the first lien notes for new six and a quarter percent seven year first lien notes. The confirmation hearing is scheduled for September 21st, with September 22nd, 27th, and 28th reserved should the hearing continue. Top red stories this week included Hertz preliminary rights offering results showed 12.3% participation from shareholders, leaving rights offering participation available to unsecured funded debt claims. Nationwide preliminary injunction issued on oil and gas lease sale moratorium by Louisiana District Court. Caribbean offers 650 million 2026 unsecured notes to redeem in full Silver Sea Cruise finance 7.25% notes. Navios Maritime Partners secures long-term charters for five ships. For the week ahead, our man Jim from Houston is out this week braving the heat in his southern stomping grounds. The New York office is going to handle the week ahead segment this time around. On Wednesday, June 23rd, in the case of Reorganized Sanchez Energy, now known as Mesquite Energy, Judge Marvin Isger is scheduled to issue an oral ruling on the reorganized debtor's proposed rejection of an oil and gas marketing agreement with GSO Unsub. Although the parties have said a finalized settlement may be possible before the hearing, also on Wednesday will be the Combined Disclosure Statement Approval and Plan Confirmation Hearing in the Hospitality Investors Trust Chapter 11 cases. On June 24th, we have a hearing on the Malandrat Debtor's proposed private sale of VTS 270 Adrabedex to Mandos LLC for approximately $1.75 million plus $2 million in approval milestone payments and earnout payments if the drug is eventually sold. Adrabetadex is a drug that treats Nimin pick type C disease. The UCC has objected to the sale on the basis that the underlying marketing process leading to the sale does not reflect the exercise of sound business judgment and the debtor's fiduciary responsibility. On June 25th, also a Malandrat, we have a hearing on a stay relief motion brought by a group of private Akhtar plaintiffs led by the city of Rockford, Illinois, to pursue their antitrust claims against debtor defendants Malandrat PLC and Malandrat ARD LLC into their class certification motion, which is before the district courts handling the underlying litigation. And next up, Julian and Richard Barber from Reorg's America's Covenant team will be discussing Iconics brands and their recently announced going private acquisition by Lancer Capital and the change of control implications under debt docs. Thank you and good afternoon, everyone. I'm Julian Boulown, and with me today is my colleague Richard Barber, who, like me, is an analyst on our America's Covenants team. Today, we're going to be discussing Richard's recent coverage of Iconics brands including the company's recently announced going private acquisition and the implications of that transaction under the company's existing debt documents. Richard, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So, Richard, why don't you start by giving us a quick overview of Iconics' situation and some of the players involved? Yeah, of course. Uh, the company that will be acquired is Iconics Brand Group a brand management company that licenses brands to retailers and manufacturers in the apparel and related industries. And the acquiring entity is the private equity firm Lancer Capital. Okay, and how will this acquisition be structured? Yeah, so the transaction will be structured as a two-step merger. Uh, in broad strokes, the purchaser commences a tender offer to acquire all outstanding shares of Iconics' common stock. And in this case, that's for $3.15 per share in cash. That's 3.15 uh, per share in cash. And assuming that the shares are tendered in the offer, um, or excuse me, and assuming that shares that are tendered in the offer and those held by the company constitute a majority, the remaining shares are acquired in a back-end merger at the same cash price as the initial tender offer without a shareholder vote. So in effect, the tender offer is the shareholder vote. Without a majority of the shares being tendered, there is no transaction and the deal falls through. 
Uh, Iconics will become a private company owned by Lancer Capital upon the completion of the transaction. And that's the basic uh, setup for this deal. Okay, thanks for that overview, Richard. Um, so what implications does this transaction have under the company's existing debt? Specifically, what, what do the debt documents say about uh, what will happen if a transaction like this goes through? Yeah, great question. So Iconics has several pieces of debt, but we'll focus on the two primary pieces of its so-called recourse debt, and that's the term loan and the second lien convertible notes due 2023. Both the term loan and the convertible notes have provisions that stipulate that the ownership or control of Iconics changes, and in the case of the convertible notes, Iconics' shares cease to be traded on public exchanges, then there is a default under the respective debt document, or the creditors have certain rights to be paid back in full immediately. Okay, that's interesting. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about the specifics of those provisions? Yeah. So let's start with the term loan. The borrower under the term loan is a subsidiary of Iconics called IBG Borrower LLC, and Iconics is a guarantor. There are two relevant change of control triggers, a beneficial ownership trigger, which is triggered if any person or group becomes a beneficial owner of 35% or more of the voting equity of the borrower or Iconics, and a cross change of control trigger, which is triggered if any quote unquote change of control occurs under any other debt in excess of $25 million of any uh, other loan party. And remember, Iconics is a loan party because it is a guarantor. So both triggers are, are implicated in the transaction. Lancer Capital intends to become the beneficial owner of 100% of the voting equity of I Iconics. And as we'll discuss shortly, a change of control will also be triggered under the convertible notes, of which approximately $94 million was outstanding as of March 31st, which is, of course, well above the $25 million threshold for the change of, for the cross change of control trigger. Okay, and so what does this mean in practical terms for Iconics and its term loans? Uh, so Iconics has two options, amend the credit agreement to permit the transaction or refinance the term loan with new debt that permits the transaction. And it seems that the louder route was chosen. This past Friday, uh, so on June 11th, the company, uh, the company announced that Lancer Capital has secured debt financing from Silverpoint Capital to facilitate the acquisition, and which will presumably be used to take out the term loan. Got it, okay. So moving away from the term loans then and turning to the convertible notes, do those have similar provisions protecting against a change of control? Yeah, so the convertible notes issued by Iconics itself have similar provisions, one uh, with one additional but important stipulation. The notes protect their holders by looking out for quote unquote fundamental changes. A fundamental change can either be a termination of trading or the more classic change of control. Uh, the termination of trading refers to the company's stock and not the notes themselves. And it is deemed to have occurred if the stock into which the notes are convertible is not listed on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or ceases to be traded in contemplation of a withdrawal of approval or delisting. So the concern uh, of the note holders here should be pretty self-explanatory. What good is a convertible note if you can't convert it into stock you can trade? Mm -hmm. uh, the change of control provision under the notes are similar to the term loan, but not completely. There is a beneficial owner trigger, but unlike the term loan, the threshold for the trigger is more than 50%, i.e. greater than the 35% threshold found in the term loans. And finally, there's also a merger trigger that gets tripped in a merger where the company's shares are exchanged for cash, 
and the pre-transaction shareholders are not the majority shareholders post-transaction. So uh, to be clear, the transaction in which Lancer Capital acquires Iconics in the two-step merger would result in a fundamental change. The company's shares will no longer be publicly traded on either the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. Lancer Capital will become the beneficial owner of more than 50% of the voting power of Iconics' shares, and its shares will be exchanged for cash in a transaction in which its pre-transaction shareholders are not the majority shareholders post-transaction. Got it. So what options do the convertible note holders have to respond to this transaction? What are their remedies? Uh, Well, uh, another good question. There are uh, two remedies. The first is not specific to this transaction, and the second one is. The first uh, uh, is the note holders have the general right to convert their notes at any time, as long as they do so prior to the close of business on the last business day before the maturity date or any redemption date. So uh, basically, these are convertible notes, and the note holders have the right to convert their notes. As part of this transaction, the company has agreed to redeem the notes conditioned on its, on it, on its closing. And per the terms of the notes, that redemption must be made at par. So any note holder can convert their notes prior to that redemption. However, conversion does not necessarily mean that the note holders receive shares that they can immediately use to, to quote unquote, vote against a transaction by refusing to tender them in the tender offer. Instead, Iconics must settle in cash, its common stock, or a combination of both at its sole discretion in mm-hmm. accordance with the terms of the notes. Uh, so should note holders choose the conversion route, one would assume that finance is permitting, Iconics would at least consider settling in cash to avoid any chance of dissenting shareholders. But obviously, we've, been, we've only been looking at this issue from a debt perspective, and mm-hmm. any analysis of note holder motivation to convert or company, motiv- or, or company motivation to settle in cash rather than in shares must also take into consideration share price and conversion rates. Um, and the second more straightforward remedy, and the one that arises specifically because of this transaction, is the put at par. In other words, the right of the note holders to share their note to sell their notes uh, back to Iconics at par uh, because a fundamental change has occurred. So to recap, note holders can convert at the conversion rate or put their notes back at par. At the end of the day, the company has signaled that it will redeem the notes at par as part of the transaction uh, closing. Okay, thanks. Thanks for that, Richard. Uh, so, go next steps in light of this impending redemption and the holders' rights to put the convertibles to the company at par. I'm guessing that's where the convertibles are currently trading, right? Yeah, well, that's what I would guess as well, but we'd be guessing wrong. They've been in the bid-ask range of 60 to 75 uh, with some variation, but not trading anywhere near 100. Oh, that yes, that is interesting. I wouldn't expect those uh, those notes to be trading at such a deep discount. Do we know more about what's going on there? You know, I wish we did. We honestly don't know too much about the ownership of these notes. The distressed debt investment firm Mudrick Capital disclosed back in February this year that as of the end of 2020, they were the beneficial owners of just under 10% of the shares of Iconics, and this number included shares to be issued upon the conversion of $38.6 million of the convertible notes. With $94 million outstanding as uh, as a fiscal quarter end March 31st, that represents about 41% of the convertibles, assuming, of course, Mudrick's holdings haven't changed. That's a pretty significant position. 
It is. Um, and thanks to the merger agreement that the company filed with the announcement of the transaction, we also know that Iconics has entered into a purchase agreement with the holder or holders, plural, of the convertible notes to purchase an undisclosed, an undisclosed amount of notes. Furthermore, uh, the selling note holders have also agreed to tender the shares of Iconics that they own independent of the convertible notes. Finally, we also know that Iconics plans to enter into a supplemental indenture upon the closing, upon closing the purchase of the notes, but did not file the form of the form of the supplemental indenture with the SEC. Um, and I should reiterate that we do not know the identity of the selling note holder or note holders, nor do we know how many notes they hold or shares of Iconics they own. But perhaps the purchase agreement and the related arrangements hold the key to why the notes have not been trading as we would normally expect. I see. Well, whatever the case may be, it sounds like Iconics and Lancer Capital are playing a pretty offensive game with respect to this transaction. Yeah, absolutely. They're uh, tying up as many shares in favor as possible, which is what uh, one would expect. All right. Well, Richard, thanks again so much for joining us today and for sharing your insights on this very interesting situation. Uh, I, I look forward to following your coverage as the situation continues to develop. Uh, definitely. Thanks for having me. This was a, a blast talking to you. All right. Well, folks, as a reminder, America's Covenants by Reorg provides sophisticated analysis on indentures and credit agreements in the primary and secondary markets. If you would like to preview our content or request a trial, visit our product webpage at reorg.com slash products slash America's Covenants. Thank you again for listening to this Reorg Weekly Review. Find all our podcasts on the reorg.com media page as well as Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great extended weekend and see you next Sunday.